Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your Raw After WrestleMania edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. The Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and we are here to break down everything that happened Monday night on Raw, as well as everything that went down. Friday night at the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony as the fallout from WrestleMania 38 basically begins uh, throughout the world of WWE. Uh, if you if I sound a little different on this podcast, yes, this is the third straight that is being done uh, abnormally, not in our normal respective studios with our normal respective microphones. The Silver King is on the road right now in Augusta, Georgia at the 2022 Masters, and I am recording from a hotel room. So again, please excuse some, some you know, audio changes, difficulties, whatever the case might be. We just wanted to aim to provide you with the fourth podcast in as many days here at Getting Over. So you may be asking, well, Silver King, where are the other three? Well, first of all, I hope you listen to all of them. But the ones I'm referring to, of course, are three instant analysis episodes. The first, NXT Stand and Deliver, which we taped on Saturday afternoon. The second and third, WrestleMania 38 instant analysis, night one and night two, separate episodes. They appear to be on their way to being two of our top five episodes of all time. But man, if you are listening to this without listening to those, you need to take a quick pause here, go back, listen to both of those instant analysis episodes, and then come back here. Let's talk about the Raw after WrestleMania and the WWE Hall of Fame. But no matter what, I appreciate all of you guys listening to this show because guess what? The Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So please make sure you do not forget. Stop being marks for yourselves and Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people how much you love this show. The goal is for us to continue getting more listeners, continue getting more subscribers. And as I've said before, every single time we get a five-star rating or review on this podcast, we will read it live on the air. And guess what? That's exactly what I'm going to do right now uh, because I have... A comment from B. Davel, D-A-V-E-L, Big Meaty Podcast, five stars. I didn't want to give this podcast five stars. I wanted to give it five big meaty men slapping meat, much like meat, this podcast slaps. You are damn right. This podcast does slap. That's exactly what we are here to do. So thank you very much for that five-star review. Also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Uh, that is where you can participate in pre and post show polls and live Twitter spaces around pay-per-views. We also tweet live most of the time uh, during the four major wrestling television shows, WWE, NXT, of course, and AEW. And every single time a new episode is released, we drop it there first. So again, every reason in the world to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast. Chris, uh, busy night for the Silver King between the Raw after WrestleMania and the NCAA Basketball Championship, a fantastic game, let's say, of course, between Kansas and North Carolina. But that came at the end of a nine-hour drive that I took from South Florida to Augusta, and that came on the back of me getting three hours, grand total, three hours of sleep coming out of WrestleMania before jumping into the car. So you know, I think my notes uh, for WrestleMania are both comprehensive and coherent, but there's a very good chance that they're not. I just want to I just want to set the stage for the rest of the show. Yeah, well, at least, you know, 
La- I believe last year, if this is right, you were in Augusta doing the WrestleMania reaction pods. During WrestleMania. Yeah, that was a whole yeah. ordeal. So, oh, my God. So this is at least better than that. But uh, well, yeah, get some sleep when you can. I'm trying the best. Uh, so, look, let's just get right into it, right? Let's talk about the Raw after WrestleMania. This is what I'm going to say. And I really saw some mixed opinions online about this show. I personally enjoyed most of the booking that we got. In fact, purely from a booking standpoint, it actually was, in my opinion, the best Raw after WrestleMania in the last five years dating back to 2018. Now, granted, a couple of those years were not in front of a crowd. However, a whole lot of nothing happened on Monday night. Also, the crowd was actively terrible the entire show. It was like a parody of a Raw after WrestleMania crowd. There were idiotic chants. They actively tried to derail talking segments. It's nice when crowds are loud, even when they disagree, even when it's a Raw after WrestleMania crowd, as Michael Cole would say, uh, they cheer for the guys you normally hate and boo the guys they normally love or whatever that stupid quote was that he said. But it feels like ever since WWE addressed it on television, when Cole said that, the crowds have gotten worse for the Raw after WrestleMania. And I really legitimately think this is the worst such crowd ever. Um, I cannot remember an example of a crowd purely trying to get itself over to the detriment of the show that it was watching for an entire episode. We've seen it during single matches. A, a great example, of course, being Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, WrestleMania 34. But I thought the crowd on Monday was absolutely pathetic. That's interesting because I, I thought they were... It, it was notably positive, I thought, early on, and then just kind of whatever later on. In the first hour, in the first hour, it was positive. Yeah, and, and it, yeah. it was notable because we'll get into it, but like there, was, there wasn't an AEW chant for Cody, which is something I thought was going to happen. I, I, I mm. will say that um, I, do, I don't agree that it's the worst that this has been like. I, I don't know if you, you think back to those days in 2014, 2015, 16, 17, where literally you know beach balls all the place they literally were not interested in the show at all i I think there were definitely more raw after many crowds that tried to take over the event than than there have been in the past especially honestly in that that heyday of nxt when you kind of had the full group of fans there so i I thought the crowd was um interesting early on kind of not great later on not a strong feeling though like you what what do you think overall about the show? Because this is what I'm going to say. So 2018, I think I was at, that was when Bobby Lashley came back and I thought it was just an absolutely horrendous Raw after WrestleMania. 2019 to me, nothing stuck in my head about it one way or the other. If, you know, um, it just didn't stand out. And of course, 2020 and 2021 were not in front of fans. But I, because of that, again, just dating back to 2018, I think this was easily the best. But at the same time, there were, there were a lot of things that didn't happen. Like, yes, we did get a return. We did get a re-debut. But... That's about it. Like, zero, zero NXT call-ups. Very little storyline right. development. A lot of one person handshaking another person from things that happened one night before or two nights before. It just felt like, even though I enjoyed the booking, people got a chance to speak. I thought two of the promos on the show were among the best WWE promos of the entire year. Um, it just didn't feel like... like I wanted them to set, you know, new storylines. I wanted new things to start happening. And they didn't really give us that on the episode. I, I, I just wanted big things to happen. And we didn't get that because even back in that period of 
Raw from Mania, like I talked about, where the crowds would derail the show. That's because you'd get two, three, four debuts the night after. You would do matches you hadn't mm-hmm. had before. You had Dolph Ziggler cashing money in the bank one year, and it was just an event. This was obviously the first one with fans in a few years, but even the previous few with fans, I don't think I don't think Raw. After, I don't think they're making Raw after Mania as big of a deal anymore. Even as they try to hype it up, like clearly they actively did not, you know, debut a Tommaso Ciampa or something like that, or or, or try right. these other big things. You had we'll get into it, but you had you had Elias, you had a Cody promo and uh, a heel turn and. Spot it. Other than that, it was pretty much a regular it, episode of Raw. It really felt like they actually set some stuff up to happen next week. Yeah. Like if you think about, and we'll get into it in detail, but the Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan situation, uh, Edge and Damian Priest, where it was kind of just them. And you're like, oh, this is a spot where someone can debut. They didn't do that, right? Why didn't they do that? Um, even the Braun Breaker, Dolph Ziggler situation, it was like, oh, you know, if Ziggler beats Braun again, Maybe they're just going to leave him on raw, but Ziggler, I mean, a uh, breaker wins the title back. Right. So there were so many different things where it's like, Oh, this, they're obviously going to do this. And they didn't. And that's not to say that nothing happened. In fact, when we get into the good, the bad and the ugly here, I, the vast majority of it, I'm going to say is good or at least provisionally yeah. good to see what happens in the weeks that are going to follow. That's why I'm saying I enjoyed the episode, but there was also just a lot of nothing throughout the entire. Yeah. It, it was a lot of good, not a lot of great. Not nothing like whoa, you know. Yes. Not, yes. Nothing that, uh, and and really, like I said, it's probably been about five years or so since Raw after Mania was that, and so maybe yeah. maybe that's just not what it is anymore. Even now, as WWE trying to kind of tries to co op the 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 brand, the idea of that. Yeah, which is strange too because it was packed. It was a big weekend for them, and they I I would think they'd want to strike while the iron and, was hot. By the way, highest rated episode of Raw since January 2021. Mm-hmm. So just like think about that, right? You're talking, what is that? 15, 16, 17 months. That's that's a long ass period of time. So anyway, hey, look, let's just get into the show, right? Enough with the intro. Let us begin as we always do on the WWE episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast by sliding into the main event. Now we are going to do a four part main event and that's not because four incredible things happened but look, it's going to be a relatively short show, so we should just talk about the things that were most important that happened on Raw. And uh, probably nothing was more important than Cody Rhodes opening the show with his first promo back in WWE. His entrance looked super makeshift, <laughs> I presume, because WWE is using the same set and they weren't able to build the lift into it yet. After a long ovation, a bunch of chance, he said there were a lot of bullshit rumors and defamatory conjecture, uh, but the decision to ultimately return to WWE was an easy one. He said the storyline of the rejected guy returning home is clear. And even if he had doubts, which he didn't, walking out of WrestleMania as a winner erased them. He showed a picture of Dusty Rhodes holding the WWF championship, despite never winning it, and named all the champions that followed in that era. Uh, everyone got cheered except Hulk Hogan, who got <laughs> loudly booed. Just let's be yes. clear about that. Uh, Cody also name dropped Triple H for a pop from the Smarks, which I thought was really cool. He did a wink. Uh, He choked up then talking about his dad and how he knew at eight years old, he needed to win the WWE title and put it in Dusty's hands. He got a, you can do it chant. I thought Rob Schneider might've been in the crowd for a moment. Uh, Cody basically guaranteed he would win the WWE title for the fans, his family, everyone, including his dad. And then Seth Rollins broke up the party. Fans serenaded him. They both had a stare down in the ring. Cody offered his hand and Seth shook it to end the segment. So look, the promo was a plus. Okay, there's just no other way to put it. 
candidate and maybe frontrunner for promo of the year. But I would have preferred it to end without Rollins coming out. It was unnecessary. It took the spotlight off Cody directly. And with Backlash so far out, even if they're going to do a rematch, even if they're going to do this again, they did not need to do it on the Raw after WrestleMania. Just have Cody stand there, end it with a great line, and bask in the adoration of the fans. It's a minor gripe. Maybe it's a little bit of a nitpick. It was a fantastic segment. It was an appropriate opener for Raw. I just didn't think that was necessary. Yeah, I, I, I came away very confused at the end of it, essentially, because I was thinking, I, you know, we had thought going in, this will be the start of a Seth Cody, you know, feud. They'll have a pay-per-view match, two that's or three, three, something like that. Yeah. And yeah, so the, the handshaking made me think it was over. Uh, so maybe that's just me and my own expectations. Um, but yeah, promo A+, plus, like you said, it, it, it felt real. It felt serious instead of the often sarcastic tone that WWE promos take, even the even the face ones. You know, the, the, the way he stood, the way he turned his head, the way he used his eyes, like he's very, very good at this. And actually someone had put together a, a, a gif of uh, combining one of his last AEW promos and one of his uh, WWE ones talking about his dad. And he makes the same like tear up and head turn. It's like the exact same move. So so he, he he's very good at this. He knows what he's doing. And it was one that the WWE fans got behind and the kind of promo I think that AEW fans got sick of. You know, pretty much he, he, he coming to WWE, he can cut these promos that he really liked to do that kind of made him a heel in AEW. So I appreciated him telling the whole story. Well, yeah, what's what's that? No, well, I mean, he he became a rejected. Yes, that's what I mean. It, no, no, I know. I, I wasn't correcting you there. I was just kind of saying he, he he was became he became a rejected face in AEW, not because of the overly super sweet babyface promos. But because of stuff like the Anthony Agogo. Well, it, it was and the, the, the self, um, not self-adulation, was, but, but self, self-importance. Uh, uh, yeah, but treating uh, yes, everything. But, like, but it was around, yeah. it was, it was around the topics that they yeah. did. Like they tried to create a USA Britain. Yes. Uh, feud where we're allies. Why the hell would we yes. hate them? It doesn't make any yes. sense. Right. This isn't the nineties where you can get away with like a right. Canada, USA type of feud, even though they're but, allies. But, right. Yeah. He, he did that. He acted like he was solving racism yes. every week live on TV. <laughs> yes. Like like things like that are why they turned against him. It wasn't just because he was a super sweet white. Baby but I mean, face. but I mean, um, he gives the same kind of promo. Of course, yes, it's a style in, yes. in AW with every feud yeah. he was doing with a go go with them with right. Whatever. He he did the same feud even when it wasn't yes. applicable. I mean, yes. the same promo even when, yes. when it wasn't. And applicable. that's Correct. the kind of style you yeah. do when you make your grand entrance. He addressed he addressed being a free agent and leaving. And that, again, that's where I expected some AW chance in the crowd. We did not get those, which was very surprising. Um, and just kind of laid everything out and, and, and said what he said in some interviews, which was he wants to be the champion. And to me, it, it makes it very clear that at some point here, it'll be him and Roman, uh, whether it's SummerSlam, whether it's I, I don't know when. But, you know, for, for all the talk about even after he debuted, Cody is how long is he going to be there? He's going to be down in the mid card. You know, very clearly he has the goal of the title. He was able to, to go negotiate and get his music, you know, his hair, his American Nightmare brand, all that stuff. <laughs> I have to imagine the idea of him competing for maybe winning the title is maybe not con- contractually obligated, but at least some sort of handshake agreement that he's going to be in that mix. And that's what this problem. Right. 
like he's mentioned having a very specific contract that was heavily negotiated and includes a bunch of stuff. And I believe him saying that. I think a lot of people have taken that to mean that Cody was guaranteed like a WrestleMania main event or a championship win or anything like that. And WWE can't guarantee no. those things because he could get he could get injured. Um, and sure, I guess you could put a clause unless due to injury, right, or whatever. But those are things WWE WWE has never, even during the Attitude Era, when WCW was giving booking power to the former WWF stars in order to entice them over there, right? WWE never, ever, to my knowledge, maybe someone can correct me, has guaranteed people will win championships or be booked a certain way. However, I'm sure that there are provisions in there, for example, and again, I'm, this is, I'm pulling it out of my ass a little bit, but I'm just kind of theorizing, where Cody says... Um, I, sh- I, I am a, la- you know, no promo gets written for me or no promo. I, I, I don't, I won't read a promo without having my input or, um, y- y- storylines need to be approved by multiple parties, or I, I at least get a final say or something like that. Like, I believe there are probably clauses where he gets a little bit of control over his character and how he's presented really the presentation more than anything else. But I do not think WWE is guaranteeing him any type of booking other than, like you just said, on a handshake deal where he basically is like, look, if I'm coming back, I want to be a main eventer. And they say, OK, yeah, you are a main eventer and we're, pro- we're going to try to give you a championship uh, run. And he says, OK, great. Like, that's what I believe. Happened. Right, right, right. We're, we're not saying it's, it's contractually guaranteed, but for him to say right. in his first promo back that that's where he's going. That tells you a lot. Again, WWE, WWE approved that it, promo. He's going to win the title. Yeah. It tells me he's going to win the title because no. they're not going to have him say that and him not. Deliver. But he's going right. to be in the mix here, probably so- sooner rather than later, I would think, if you're going to open with that um, so heavily sure. on your first promo. Also, there's a funny botch with the entrance where I don't know if the camera wasn't upright or yeah. they cut to him. And you it, just see it, his, it was the you just see his head there. And it yeah. was funny. But I was I like the entrance the him rising up. I know he did that all the time and in AW and everything, but it's a cool visual. Uh, it's just as long as they. You know, get it right. Sure, sure. So let's keep going here. Uh, Roman Reigns was introduced as the, quote, undisputed WWE Universal Champion in the main event segment, and that started with nine minutes left in the show. He came out with both titles. He took half of that time just for his entrance. Fans chanted for him, Roman, Roman. Uh, Reigns didn't demand acknowledgement at first, saying they were going to switch it up. Paul Heyman bragged about the Usos being the longest reigning SmackDown Tag Team Champions all the monetary and ticket sales records set by Reigns at every major event. Then he called him the undisputed biggest star in the industry. Reigns said what's good for him is good for WWE because he's the last needle mover and he's operating at God mode. Then he said he's a man of his word for calling his shot and delivering. Reigns said Brock Lesnar is in the past, which sounded great. That was music to my ears. And that he's a progressive tribal chief. He promised to share the next step on SmackDown and ended with acknowledge me. Don't get me wrong here, okay? Heyman's promo and Reigns' promo were both good, executed really well. But for Reigns to have accomplished what he did in on WrestleMania and for them to call it the biggest WrestleMania match of all time and then for him to come out on the Raw after WrestleMania and speak for four minutes and say nothing was a huge letdown. They absolutely could have done more in this moment than use the main event of a Raw after WrestleMania to basically say, watch SmackDown on Friday. This, to me, because of that, was a failure, especially because he had the entire crowd in the palm of his hands the entire time. Yeah, huge letdown. You know, you know in terms of what was going to open the show, 
it was either going to be Cody, it was either going to be Roman, maybe Kevin Owens. But 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 it, it had to be one of those two. So when you open with Cody, you figure you're closing with Roman. But for it to just be essentially him telling you to watch SmackDown, like, that sucked. I, I would not have made it the main event of the show if that was the case, because that only further built it up into making you think it's going to be something. Um, this, this, by the way, highlights the concern we had about title unification, which is either not getting your champion on every show or him just only doing one show a week or something like that. You know, it's, I'm not saying he was in any shape to wrestle. We don't know if the shoulder injury was real or not really. He had to do the Today Show. I'm sure he was tired as hell. But yeah, that was a real letdown. You, you, you know, you think of, you think about that Undertaker promo we did after he beat him. And I know he only said one word, this is my yard. But it was like a memorable thing. Oh, yeah. How do you not, how do oh, yeah. you not come out of the biggest match in WrestleMania history, title unification, and not cut some truly great, I am the greatest promo we essentially just got Heyman doing that um yeah very very big letdown and this is why we this is why you and I both like the brand split and like having a champion on different brand splits because uh if you have one main champion and he's not there or he doesn't do anything it's gonna feel like a letdown yeah I completely agree but you know to have him be there it's great you know but you have to do more than that like you you absolutely have to you can say tune into Smackdown but you need to set the stage for something you need to set the stage and say, hey, I've beaten this person and that person and that person, but you know, this is what I still have to accomplish. I want to be this. I don't just want to be the longest reigning champion since this person. I want to be the longest reigning champion ever. I'm going to beat Bruno San Martino's mm-hmm. record. Like There are so many different things he could have said. And instead, he basically said, hey, go t- tune into SmackDown on Friday and I'll tell you. And, and for the main event of that show, making people wait three hours to see him, that was a really shitty piece of booking as far as I was concerned. Let's move on to the third part, Chris, of this main event. Bianca Belair opened the second hour of Raw. Uh, She thanked the fans for believing in her. Then she revealed a really nasty black eye from Becky Lynch doing that rolling thunder kick. She said Lynch uh, made her become better than ever and realize how precious it is to be champion. She put herself over for doing it all with one eye and said she'll be a fighting champion who won't duck from a challenge because no one back there in the locker room wants it more than her. I thought it was easily the best promo of her young career, when she said she wouldn't duck anyone, it would have been the perfect spot for Bailey or Asuka to come back. And I was extremely surprised nothing happened. And by the way, not just Bailey or Asuka, Alexa Bliss, who returned at Elimination Chamber, and we haven't seen her since. Now, this differs from the Cody Rollins deal that I criticized for someone coming out because they just fought last yeah. night a return in this situation to interrupt her at the end would have gotten a massive pop, but it was an establishing promo for Belair. And I thought she absolutely nailed it, but to not bring out Oscar or Bailey, and maybe there's a chance Bailey's not ready yet, but to not bring out either of them or bliss or any new women from NXT last night, I just thought was a big mistake, but really this is the focus on Belair and Belair crushed it. Yeah. Two different things. The, the, the promo was great. Her promo last week, the go home promo was great too. Mm-hmm. Two straight yep. really great promos for Bianca. And that comes from she is so much better as a face when she's talking tough, not when she's talking happy-go-lucky, smiling type of stuff. Because we know she can kick your ass. She can kick anybody's ass. And she needs to talk like that. And that's how she talked last week. That's how she talked this week. So it was great. But 
that is the exact moment in every Raw after Mania where you debut somebody or return somebody. Like, like that's the quintessential. You give your big speech and boom, there's somebody to, 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 to get in your way. And so we just kind of all expected that. And then it didn't happen. And it just kind of kind of just fluttered out like that at the end. So um, I don't I don't know what's next for her. Obviously, the black eye issue has to heal. I don't know if she broke an orbital bone or something. I don't know. Uh, so that's going to take some time. So maybe you don't want to rush her into a feud. Um, so I don't know if they have a plan. Don't have a plan. Don't want to reveal it yet. A very surprising finish to that. Yeah, for sure. And then the fourth part here. A surprise match that was not promoted or advertised and really kind of came out of nowhere. The NXT Championship was defended on Raw. Dolph Ziggler taking the title up against Braun Breaker. Now, this was a pleasant surprise, and I did think it was a very smart decision by WWE to promote NXT on the biggest Raw of the year. Not only that, I think I mentioned earlier, I forget if I did or not, highest rated Raw since January 2021. So to put NXT on that, when you're trying to promote the brand, when the last four weeks the ratings have been up for NXT, very, very smart move. Uh, Breaker first got a vignette. Braun caught Dolph for an awesome twisting spinebuster. Then he countered the Famouser into a sit-down powerbomb and hit a really sick toss belly-to-belly suplex. Breaker took out Robert Roode with a tope cannonball as Ziggler ripped off a turnbuckle pad. He caught Braun with a Famouser for a 2.5. Ziggler raked the eyes. Braun stopped his own head from going into the exposed turnbuckle. And Ziggler hit the superkick for a 2.9 false finish. And that was a direct callback to stand and deliver. Breaker countered the superkick with a huge spear and hit the press power slam to win back the NXT title in about 10 minutes and 30 seconds. And this was the mid-show main event. The booking here completely made sense for promotional sake. But all of my excitement Saturday over Ziggler remaining NXT champion and Braun taking a break or getting called up and someone else moving into the challenger spot completely dissipated in 48 hours. WWE, to their credit, even explained that Braun got the rematch due to the interference and the chicanery that all happened on Saturday. The crowd also, I will give them credit, reacted very strongly to Braun. And if that jacks up the ratings for NXT this week, then that could be very big for WWE. It also means that NXT better be a damn good show on Tuesday. This was a strong but short match. It was similar to what we saw Saturday. I'm gonna, I went 3.75 stars on a B plus because the stand and deliver match was better, even without a clean finish. The only strange thing here is, again, I mentioned it earlier, it seemed like Ziggler was going to have a reign with the title and, and Braun was either going to get called up or just remain in NXT, but do some other things. And instead to change the title, it kind of made both people worse off because Braun yeah. was already champion and Ziggler was basically doing the best work of the last year or two in this NXT champion role. So I'm disappointed personally, but I understand why they did what they did. I I understand. I agree that I understand what they did and why they did it. And I think it makes sense. It's the execution of it. That is the whole problem starting with Saturday, because correct me if I'm wrong. There was some chicanery. Robert Roode was, you know, kicked out and he came back, but the ref didn't call a disqualification or anything there. He just reacted to him. And then at stand and deliver. Yes, at stand and yes. deliver. There wasn't the match didn't end with some like, oh my god, I can't believe this big interference. Clearly, this is gonna set something up. And then we didn't hear anything more about it until I think during the show on Raw, unless I missed something on Twitter. Like there was no announcement like 
Braun's uh, Braun Breaker's furious. He wants a rematch. Blah 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 blah. And then you build to it in money. You give the rematch. There was no promotion for it. It just felt like they were just doing it over on the fly, and decided to give Braun the title uh, here. And at, at in a Raw after Mania is is big, but it didn't feel special like it would if it stand and deliver. Because Stand and Deliver had the whole story and everything behind it, the the promo video, everything. Then to, totally, to, to yep. just do it then a couple of days later with no hype, just an announcement that you're doing it in front of a crowd that is into Braun, but I don't think pays attention that close of attention to NXT. It was just a real letdown. So you know, if they knew on my, basically, my question is, did they know on Saturday that this was going to be the plan on Monday? And right. if they did, they should have explained a lot more. I just kind of got the feeling that as of Saturday, it wasn't the plan to do it the way they did it. I think, I think both are possible and both are plausible. I don't know which is accurate. That's really the the question that I have right now. But again, um, these were the main events for the raw after WrestleMania. Now let's kind of move to the second half of the show. Uh, We're going to slide into the second uh, segment that we do every single WWE episode here on the getting over wrestling podcast. And that is, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So Edge came out late in the show claiming to be an honest man because AJ Styles faced his judgment day as promised. He said he didn't expect Damian Priest to appear, but he clearly had come to the same understanding as Edge did. Edge demanded the fans rise for Priest, who he said will be the punishment for the guilty. And I really like the callback because his old name in Ring of Honor was Punishment Martinez. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. Priest came out in an all-black suit saying Edge meant a lot to him and he was lost going into WrestleMania. Fans chanted, we don't care. And both Priest and Edge did a really great job shutting them up. Uh, Priest said it felt like Edge was speaking directly to him and he pledged his loyalty to him. Edge said they would punish anyone who challenged their message. Styles, of course, uh, dispatched of Priest, threw Edge into the ring post twice. He went to for, for a concerto when Priest made the save. Then they combined for a high-low spear, which was pretty cool, to end the segment as WWE officials ran in to stop another concerto. I couldn't tell if the fans were booing heels or actively hating this by the chant and all that type of stuff. I do think it lacked some juice and fire, but it's really just the beginning of this entire thing. So I went with good. Yeah, it was good. It, it was fine. Like you didn't you didn't expect. You probably shouldn't have expected edge to just put together what is potentially a faction just day after day after day you got to give each person some time to simmer but you got to get used to damian priest like this before you bring in somebody else if that's what they do um so i i you know maybe people were expecting to get more from that priest promo made sense um you, you know i i think they could have leaned into it a bit more you know talk about you know, it's it's weird. Like, you know, he did the Jekyll and Hyde thing for like half the year. And that was kind of his like tweener stage. And instead of leaning back on that, instead of leaning back to, you could say he was overshadowed by Bad Bunny a year ago and, and he, he didn't like where he was. Like, it was just kind of basic in his explanation of why he wanted to be with Edge. So it was fine. It was good. I like this fact. I guess team tag team, whatever they're going to, whatever they're going to be for right now. I like the two of them together. I like the potential of this, but it was another one of those things that just kind of like the NXT match. It felt like it could have used some more juice for sure. Uh, Also styles and priest is now already booked for next week. 
This just confirms that they completely took Priest out of the United States Championship picture, despite him being the number one contender. They should have at least, I, I said this on the uh, Ultimate Preview, and I said this on the WrestleMania shows, they should have just booked their match on night one, let Priest lose, and that would be part of the reason why he goes and joins mm-hmm. Edge. At least it would have given Balor a strong win. It was a total missed opportunity as far as I was concerned. Yeah, could have. And again, put it on since stuff got cut on that one, could have put it on the pre-show or something like that. But yeah, weird. To, again, th- th- with a lot of the stuff, not the main stuff, but some of the stuff around Mania, you kind of get a sense that changes were made relatively recently, perhaps. Such as a few weeks ago, him being the number one contender. All right, so Kevin Owens uh, entered the ringside area as Live for Brutality exited, and we'll get to that in a little bit. He went on a rant about underestimating Steve Austin being truly great, which he must be because KO is one of the greatest ever. He said the loss should be stricken from the record as suddenly super generic music played. And Ezekiel walked to the ring. It was Elias with a shaved beard, bare-chested, looking like a body guy from the early 1990s. He said he's Elias' younger brother. Fans chanted at him. Owens said he hated liars, but Ezekiel called Owens a liar. So KO counted to 10 and said, you better get away from me or else. Zeke didn't move, so KO just left the ring. The crowd was dead when Elias walked out. Either they didn't realize it was him, or they were just so confounded at the way he looked. But believe it or not, Chris, this gimmick of gaslighting and pretending to be someone else when it's obviously still the same person, it has a huge chance to get over. It's basically like brains Strowman, but permanent. (laughs) Do I think it was a good decision to completely change Elias rather than just like freshen him up a little bit? No, I don't think that was a good decision. But even though I don't think this has a long life, only time is going to tell. I'm going to give this segment a good because KO was amazing. And Ezekiel is a provisional good as well. Yes, this is definitely a good for a lot of... The, I'm glad you mentioned Kevin Owens at the end because first off, his promo was great. He he was furious. He had excuses. He was just kind of befuddled with a lot of things. Like, that's exactly what you want from him coming out of a main event. Lost to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Just ex- excuse it away because he thinks, oh, he had a bad back because he was lifting so many weights. Like, it was it was funny. But it was all it, it was like the funny chicken shit heel. And that works. Then the music hits. I see Ezekiel. I'm thinking, oh, is Ezekiel Jackson coming back? <laughs> that was my first thought. He walks out. I'm like, who is this? He's about halfway down the ramp. And I go, I go, that's Elias. And my brother goes, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's Elias. You can tell by the eyes. And I'm so glad they played it out the way they did. Because when he was walking down, I'm like, oh, no, this is just going to be a complete reboot. We're going to pretend he's a new character and just pretend, you know, that we don't know anything. So for this to be a confrontation from Kevin Owens to say, no, you're Elias, we can tell. I'm so glad that they leaned into it. And that's what gives me hope for whatever this is, because they're playing along with it. You know, Ezekiel took over Elias's uh, Instagram and Twitter accounts. And the handle is still I am Elias WWE. But the, the, the name is Ezekiel, younger brother of Elias. And it just says, I'm going to take over Elias' Twitter, <laughs> Twitter account now. So it's it's funny. And, and, and that's good. It's very funny. He looks yeah. great. Like, he looked great as Elias, but you couldn't really tell. The dude is 
the dude is built and ripped. Tremendous look. I, what's really funny is no, sorry, yeah, no, you're, go, ahead. go ahead. Uh, what's really funny is so it almost felt like to me that not that they didn't have the gimmick plan because I do believe that they did, but it felt like he you know prefers maybe to have the beard and the chester and all that because when you looked at him, it didn't seem like a guy who had been shaving his face and body for like weeks or months to prepare for this it seemed like he all did it that day because his chest was all bumpy. Be, yeah. his face had his face had a five o'clock shadow the likes of which man i don't even you know it seemed like he shaved at 9 a.m and it almost had like his face was completely dark so it, it's a little not i don't want to use the word off-putting right but it's funny that he's trying to be this guy but not that he didn't go all the way but like there's still elements of, of elias there where you can kind of see where the beard was and see where the chest hair was. But regardless, I just think it's hysterical. And I I am shocking, uh, uh, shocked that I would love something as much as I loved this in this moment. And again, it was with Kevin Owens. If yes. he, it was the perfect person for him to play yes. off. If he played off someone else, I may not have liked it as much. I think the only other person who could have su- successfully done this would have been, or two other people, The Miz and Seth Rollins. Yeah, or maybe like a Sami Zayn. Yeah, but but that that's pretty much right. it. And look, going forward, I don't I don't know. Is this going to be we're just going to pretend he's Elias every week? I, that's probably going to get Ezekiel. Is, yeah. I'm sorry, is it going to yeah. be Ezekiel every week? We're going to get tired of that. He's not going to play off Kevin Owens every week, I assume. So we'll see where it goes. I love the Elias character. It was really over in its prime. They just never seemed to be able to figure out what to do with him other than play in front of the crowd and get the crowd really energetic. Like that dude had real heat. He's always had real heat. I went to an NXT show way back in the day. Him and Sami Zayn had something at a house show up in, in, in Detroit. And he was the only guy who got booed. That was that. That was back in the days where you cheered everybody because you, you liked the wrestlers, that smarky crowd, but they booed him as the drifter. And he does the same thing with Elias. Like he's really, really talented. So I have faith. He's going to figure out, Whatever they do here, I do miss Elias. Um, but as for what this was on Monday, it was absolutely hilarious. And I'm excited awesome. to see where it goes. We had Sasha Banks and Naomi facing Live for Brutality in a championship contenders match. Ripley did a long delayed vertical suplex. The champs hit a double bulldog into the middle turnbuckle. Then their Vader bomb split leg moonsault move. But Morgan broke the fall. Sasha hit a step through Huracarana and two Meteoras in the corner on Liv. Then another one off the top rope. The challengers hit an assisted toss powerbomb for a near fall on Banks. Then they missed a tag team move with Ripley thrown outside and the champions hitting their assisted rolling code breaker for the win on Liv in about nine minutes. Liv apologized to Rhea for taking the L, but Ripley just walked out on her. Ripley later told Liv uh, that she accepted her apology, thanked Liv for forgiving her, and she successfully lobbied for a tag team championship match next week. Why the fuck would WWE give them a title match when they literally just lost a championship contenders match squeaky clean? That truly makes zero sense. You cannot say that is logical or acceptable storytelling in any form. If they had given them another championship contenders match, maybe I could have believed that another opportunity to get a title match. I'd buy it, even though even that would be stupid. But for them to get a title match after they lost an opportunity at a title match made zero sense. And also, look, there's limited 
And as of recently, almost non-existent women's tag teams in WWE. But this one seems to be setting up for a split. And there was another one on Monday night that already did split, which is such a shame because this team, Live for Brutality, could actually get built up as the next champions to win in two or three months. And they worked hard together to actually look, act, and sound like a team. But that just goes to show what we already know. WWE does not give a shit about the women's tag team division. This match was good. If the split eventually results in what I'm expecting to happen for Rhea Ripley, that could be a lot of fun as well. But I have to say good with a caveat because the entire lack of logic and booking here is truly infuriating. Yes. I'm trying to remember who got who got pinned on WrestleMania? Who did I think Sasha did the pin? Do we remember who she pinned? I don't remember. I think it was Zelina or Carmella. Okay, that would make sense. So I believe it was Carmella, because didn't Zelina blame her on Raw? I for think that's right. So, so yeah. there, there's one way to salvage this in, in terms of the finish and, and what that means. Look, look, Rhea Ripley in potentially in Edge's faction seems like a perfect fit for what they think they're doing. It, 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 I don't know if it's happening or not, but just if you think about them splitting up, Rhea going over there would make perfect sense. So let's say they're going to split up next week. You could just say, you could just have this be a trick. You could just have Rhea tricked Liv into thinking they had a tag team match and she's going to jump her or something like that and beat her up. Because there's no, obviously, there's no way to explain away them getting a championship match after you lost your championship contenders match after you lost a championship match. There's zero way you can explain that away. So I'm hoping it's a, it's a trick and that Rhea kind of is already on the path to turning heel on live. And that's what it's going to be. So as for the match, you know, it was nice. It was fine. I was surprised the result. I, I, I honestly championship contenders uh, with women's tags. I kind of just assumed that something was going to happen and, and the live for brutality would win. But look, we know what the tag team championship belts are now. The, the women's tag belts. They're just belts that two people can hold. Uh, so they don't have to be involved in the singles championship matches because that's all they ever have going on that's all they've generally ever been except other than basically the beginning when when sasha and bailey had them and when the iconics had them after that you know bailey sasha had them together everything together but there's no tag division there's no tag stories they're just there to put belts on some people that want to put some belts on and then when wrestlemania comes around they put every it's a reason to put everybody together in a match it's two years in a row that's what it was for so it's a shame because I think they really could do something with them, but clearly the company doesn't think much about those belts. Yeah, they don't think much about the belts or the division, which is unfortunate because really what they should be doing is bringing up women's tag teams from NXT, maybe splitting up a couple of the ones that they currently made for WrestleMania in WWE, letting them fill out the singles division, allowing some of the newer people to fill out the tag team division, and then you're able to cycle, create teams, split them up, do whatever you want during the year. But it really just does not make sense, especially considering WWE gives women's wrestling a pretty decent amount of time on both Raw and SmackDown. Not so much in ring time, right. but like they feature the, them and they, and they get many people on TV. If they you know, do it only based around titles, well, that's one of the reasons why the women's tag team titles were created to give the women more time. If they actually had a division, you don't necessarily have to have matches every single week. But when you did want to throw something in there, you'd have a lot of new people. You'd get more people over, sell more t-shirts. Like there's every reason in the world to do it. I just don't understand why they do not. Uh, RK Bro and Finn Balor fought the Usos and Austin Theory. 
Uh, the Usos absolutely trashed Theory backstage for being the only loser uh, that was in this match on Monday night. Theory snapped, saying Vince McMahon never makes a mistake, and he's the best investment Vince has ever made. The Usos smiled because they successfully got under his skin and boosted him up. I absolutely loved this backstage segment. It showed great interaction between the three guys, and it was just, it felt like something different that we normally don't get on WWE TV. Theory in the match tripped Riddle, who sold an ankle outside. Riddle later hit a sick pump knee on Jey Uso as Randy Orton got an insanely hot tag. Uh, Theory tagged himself in blind during a draping DDT on Jimmy. He stopped the RKO with a rolling dropkick. Balor tagged in. Theory dodged a coup de gras. Balor countered A-Town down with a sling blade, and Jimmy broke the fall. Orton hit an RKO, then ate a superkick, and Riddle ate one as well. Balor hit a sling blade, then Theory caught him with A-Town down and the clean 1-2-3. The moment this match was promoted, Chris, in the first hour of Raw, the first second I saw it, I knew it was going to end with Theory pinning yep. Balor, and I knew I would be incensed by it, and that's exactly what happened. I have zero problem. I need to make this clear. Zero problem with Austin Theory being built up. It's a great thing that a young guy is being pushed, but he has now beaten the newly crowned U.S. champion twice and the newly crowned intercontinental champion once. It's just horrible booking. WWE, every time it creates babyface champions, it just has them lose constantly. The only people that ever look strong are heel champions. Think about it. Like being completely serious. Even Brock Lesnar lost the title soon after he won it, okay? Big E, all he did was lose at champion as champion. Finn Balor uh, and Ricochet now, all they're doing is losing. Yes, I know Ricochet won a match recently, but basically all they're doing is losing. None of them are allowed to look strong. If Theory had not beaten Balor before, doing so in this spot during a six-man would have been 100% fine. But instead, it just angered me and everyone who's watching it. And you know what? It should probably anger Balor too. So again, yes, they protected Balor a little bit because it was a six yeah, man, yeah. but it was, <laughs> really. but, but, but well, no, cause it was, yeah. he just got caught at the end of the match. But, but again, it doesn't fix anything. It's infuriating. And if they were going to do this, they never, ever should have beaten him on the go home and just given, or I think it was Ricochet. I'm sorry. Who he beat on the go home unnecessarily. And then like the week before that, he beat Balor unnecessarily. The match was a banger. So 3.75 stars and a B plus, And I'm going to say good for the match. But the booking was atrocious once again. Yeah, exact same grading. Look, look, so much you can really look at uh, WrestleMania and the events around it and see that they've everything with theory has been booked incorrectly. He's beaten the Intercontinental Champ. He's beaten the U.S. Champ, but he can't beat Pat McAfee. <laughs> and Pat right. McAfee lost to Vince McMahon. I know there was shenanigans, but you could have easily reversed this where you, yep. you know maybe he, he loses to a champion but he beats Pat McAfee uh, and then McAfee beats McMahon and then McMahon and McAfee beats McMahon, McMahon and theory, theory beats him up. And then Steve Austin, Austin comes, comes out. out. Yeah. So right. That, that's what Correct. it's like, you know, wins and losses don't matter, but they, that they tell you how important someone should be. And they've told us since winning the belt, really since coming back recently that Finn Balor is worthless. And look, Ricochet, you know, got his stuff back on the SmackDown before Mania after after his whole thing. Balor just keeps losing this. And I'm I'm guessing he's going to this is going to continue to probably drop the title to theory. Just big yikes. You know, I was thinking as that match was going on, I was like, this is a great opportunity 
to have Austin Theory pin Randy Orton to get all his sure. mojo back after losing sure. to Pat yeah. McAfee. And that way Finn Balor's fine. Randy can eat a pin. It's okay. Theory's not, Riddle can eat a pin yeah, also. Th- Theory's, yeah. Theory's not going for the tag belts. Like it was right there, but instead you got to pin the U.S. freaking champ. And it sucks. Yeah, just completely, completely ridiculous. Uh, we had the Street Profits against Alpha Academy. The heels attacked before the bell, so Adam Pierce appropriately made it a Texas Tornado match. Montez Ford immediately hit a tope cannonball over the ring post. Chad Gable hit a moonsault as Otis hit a Vader bomb for near falls. Angela Dawkins pounced Otis into the steel steps. Montez Ford hit a huge frog splash on Gable through a table in the middle of the ring. It was shorter than necessary, but it was a thrill ride from start to finish. 3.5 stars, B and good. Yeah, super super fun match. It's similar in a lot of ways to the WrestleMania match in, in which some of the spots they did. But, you know, it was pretty simple across the board. Got a fun match. It's, it's what you do with these guys. I don't really know what things are yet going forward. Um, it was fine. I give it a good. Uh, MVP hit the ring with a babyface introduction of Bobby Lashley. He came to the ring. Lashley did smiling. They broed it up a little bit and hugged as fans chanted Bobby. Lashley put over Omos as a monster and a really tough opponent that he had to work hard to conquer. Omos uh, screamed that he wanted a rematch because Lashley's win was a fluke. And just as they were squaring off, MVP attacks Lashley from behind, screaming, you don't need me, right? And directed Omos to crush him in the corner. MVP then landed basically a haluva kick before Omos hit his finisher. My lord, this was perfect. Like, Lashley's not a great promo, but he can survive now without MVP as a face. What have we been saying about Omos? He cannot cut a promo to save his life, and nothing has been working for him other than just his size. MVP fixes a good amount of that, just like he fixed it for Bobby Lashley. It was a great, surprising heel turn. It was executed well, and it paid off MVP not being alongside Lashley during his Raw return or at WrestleMania, both of which you and I commented on and were wondering about, right? I thought it was perfect. Superb piece of booking by WWE. Really smart decision to give Omos this chance with MVP. If this doesn't work, you cut the cord and you say, you know what? He's a big dude, but there's just nothing there. But if it does work, then MVP has not only revitalized Bobby Lashley's career, he's saved at a very early juncture Omos's career. Yes, um, talk about something where they probably did have a plan on, I guess, Sunday of what they were going to do the next day. Bobby, uh, absolutely MVP not being there. And he was in town. I saw him at Wally mania. So, uh, I, I like it. It made perfect sense. This is the exact type of manager heel turn that makes sense. Bobby Lashley cut a promo right before that to remind us that he can cut a promo on his own and doesn't need MVP essentially for that. Now, this is the final end of the Hurt Business, which sucks that they kind of got back together, kind of didn't. I, I assume they're all done now. I don't know. Maybe they'll come back and help Bobby Lashley fight off Omos. I don't know. That'd be cool. But um, I, I think it's good for, for Lashley. I think it's obviously good for Omos, who, look, having MVP as your talker, is it's, it's going to elevate you. It's, it's only going to take you so far. Eventually, you kind of have to be your thing on your own. Um, I think Omos... You know, I th- I, th- I thought the Omos Lashley match at Mania was was decent for what you expected. It was it was fine. He could he can do some things. I still think we need a character behind Omos. I don't know if MVP is going to be able to provide that or not. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll tell us Omos's life story and make him into a big scary thing. So we'll see. But, but this is, this was a great move probably for for everybody involved. 
and MVP hit Lashley a few times. Maybe we get Lashley MVP first. So a lot of possibilities yeah, coming out of this, uh, and it's exciting. Absolutely. Uh, the Miz fought Dominic Mysterio. Miz hit Skull Crushing Finale and squashed Dominic in 30 seconds. <laughs> if Dom had just debuted recently as like the son of Rey Mysterio, no experience, this would have been okay. The kid went toe-to-toe with Seth Rollins and yep. has had much, much longer matches in WWE. It did not make a shred of sense, even with what happened next, because after the match, Veer Mahan made his re-debut in WWE. Uh, Miz dipped out and Veer tore apart the Mysterios, tapping Dom out with a single arm camel clutch. Dom was screaming. He sold it really well, to his credit. I was very happy the Veer vignettes were not a swerve <laughs> with him coming out as a Funkasaurus <laughs> or anything yes. like that. And they gave him a really strong spot, spot tearing apart Dom. But they should have just done a singles match between Veer and Dom if they were going to squash Dominic anyway. Yes. There was zero reason for Miz to do that when the Miz won the match at WrestleMania. I also, if it was me, I would have gone a little bit less stereotypical from a look standpoint on Veer, given he was re-debuting. He tweets all the time pictures of himself in a suit looking like an absolute boss. Mm -hmm. I would have loved for them to do something like he, the reason, you know, whether he cuts a promo or has a manager or however it's explained where he says, Hey, look, I've been ready to debut on Raw, but WWE has refused to pay me enough, so they couldn't get me here. That's why, you know, for four months, they or however long, six months it feels like at this point, uh, they kept airing my vignettes, and I didn't show up because they refused to pay me. Uh, there were so many different ways they could have paid off that uh, delayed return, or they just could have, you know, swerved us slightly in a more serious direction. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with his look, because there's not. I just wish they had done something a little bit different. This wasn't awful. But since we have to grade based on what I said, I'm giving the whole thing a provisional bad just because I didn't like the way they treated the Mysterios here. It seems like Veer is going to fight Rey Mysterio next week. It's probably going to squash Rey. Like that's obviously a horrible thing if they actually do that. I'm not trying to, you know, jump ahead too much, but I have to go bad just because it it did not make sense the way that WWE did it and it could have been done in so many different ways better than this. Well, I, I mean, yes, that was the look, but based on all of the vignettes, we knew that was the look that was coming. I mean, it wasn't some surprise that he didn't come out in a suit. Honestly, what stuck out to me most about his, his look was the giant yellow elbow pads. You know, I, the, the, right. those kind of jumped out as well. But you're right. I, I, while you were talking, I went to his Twitter account. His last two tweets are him with young fans. He's wearing a suit. And he's like, if you ask me why I work so hard, this is why it's all about my fans. <laughs> so like that doesn't quite match the monster he's being presented as. So it's kind of just two different things. Um, also, if, for those who don't know, this is, I think his real name is like Rinku Singh. He's a former baseball player. He was a subject of that movie Million Dollar Arm with John Hamm. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I tweeted that. that fact last night. And I got a bunch of replies or quotes of being like, whoa, I didn't know that. Like he's to, to a lot of people, he's a real celebrity and they're apparently not really doing much with that. They're, they're leaning into the, the monster thing. I, I I'm, I'm, I'm giving it a good, just based on kind of what the, we knew he was going to come in as a monster and that's what he did. And he didn't, I agree. He should have just squashed Dom on his own. Um, I don't know if putting him with Miz 
would be interesting or not. I, I'm very, very curious where it goes. We obviously don't know anything about, despite all the vignettes, we don't really know anything about Veer and his character. Right. So uh, we will see about that. There's one other thing I wanted to say about this. I forgot what it was. Uh, oh, also, very, very happy for the WWE social media people <laughs> who for months have been having fun with the Veer stuff, going wild on Twitter on the at WWE account every time there's a Veer a Veer vignette and they they sent out like four or five tweets in a row and when, when Veer finally came about how he's he's there and he's he's terrifying and stuff like that so uh just wanted to right. shout that out because it's pretty funny but that's that's the good part the guy finally came yes. because it must have been a relief he, he probably was backed up for an oh, extended boy. period oh. of time i do want to i do want to clarify I, I his re-debut i'm not i'm not saying it was bad like he looked awesome he tapped out dominic it was just the entirety of the segment that I'm grading a bad, but Veer, he looked awesome. Like he, he was dominant. He was powerful. He tapped on like that was pretty, pretty cool. It just, it was a letdown because I was really hoping for something more. When I use the word media in this context, I mean, something more that you can chew on and like appreciate beyond just like, Oh, the same guy in the vignette just showed up and beat him up and didn't talk and didn't give us any more information. Right. Generally when someone is called up or when a vignette gets paid off, you learn a lot about that person or you get a really big memorable moment that very first night. And in this case, we did not. Uh, Carmella and Queen Zelina came out for a scheduled tag team match before the opponents could come out. Zelina ran down Mella for losing their tag team titles, being preoccupied with herself and Corey Graves. And then Zelina said that Mella was a fool for marrying him, but Graves is handsome. Mella uninvited her from the wedding. Zelina attacked. Mella cowered in Graves' arms. Zelina threw her backwards off his lap. Graves then calmed her down, and they just made out hardcore uh, right by the announce desk. I'm glad they split up, and Zelina's half of the promo was actually pretty good, but this whole thing was so convoluted and soap opera-esque, it felt like it belonged on NXT. Now, yeah. others may have enjoyed it, and if you enjoyed it, good for you, but I have to go bad here. Yeah, I mean, if you wanted to get horny, NXT 2.0 is the place to do it. <laughs> That is, that is for sure. Um, I'm real on the fence about it. You know, Zelina's promo was really good. I'm, I guess the segments are bad, but I am interested in what happens. Are are they going to have Zelina try to steal Corey before the wedding? I don't know. Is it going to be very attitude esque and eye rolling? Prop, perhaps, probably, but like, I don't know. It's something. They haven't been interesting to me otherwise, so I guess we'll see. I'm giving it a bad, but I am curious. And then lastly, uh, something from Friday. Intercontinental Championship, Ricochet defending against Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. All three, including Rick, basically had matching gear, which I thought was really strange during the match. Rick did a double hurricanrana. Humberto eventually tried to roll up Angel, so they started arguing. Rick hit a springboard crossbody into both of them, a rolling dropkick and a standing moonsault. Rick slammed Humberto off the top rope onto Angel and then hit a 630 on Angel directly into a recoil on Humberto to retain the title in 12 minutes. The finish, just the finish, was five stars. It was so freaking exciting the way they did this. Insane stuff from Ricochet and really good selling for him by Los Lotharios. Ricochet actually came out looking decently Mm -hmm. strong given the cousins barely fought each other in the match. It was almost like he won a handicap match where all of them were in the ring at the same time. Solid match overall, but the crowd was strangely dead until the end of it. I went 3.25 stars and a B. Good match, despite the shitty booking coming into it that didn't make any sense. 
But I will say in terms of entertainment value, they did deliver. Yes. And unlike Finn Balor, you know, Ricochet got it back. We were upset because uh, last week on Raw, I think it was, or SmackDown the week prior, I don't remember what it was anymore. Um, he had lost two matches in a row. And so for him to come out of this and come out of this in a way that looks uh, looks strong, that was positive. So that's a good. Not going to do any more than that, just based on how Ricochet has been handled otherwise. And I'm fearing he's going to just lose his next match as a yeah. contender or something like that. So I, I don't know. But for, for this, for what it was, this was this was a good. And that was really it for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I did want to say, I, I promised on the WrestleMania 38 instant analysis that we would read all your questions and certain comments coming out of WrestleMania on this show. But I just, I hope everyone understands because of how busy this week has been for me. I already discussed uh, what my Monday was like. It was just impossible to comb through four days of comments and questions and things like that and get everything ready for today's show. So what I'm going to do is I will, I promise you, I'm going to go through those at some point tonight or tomorrow. I will pull out the select questions and comments that are still applicable for next week. And we will do a Q and a session on next week's show. We'll open the mailbag. We'll talk about all that stuff and anything else you guys send in um, over the next week, we will include in that as well. But Chris, quickly, before we get out of here, I did want to talk about the WWE Hall of Fame, which succeeded SmackDown on Friday night. Um, I'm going to talk about everyone combined except The Undertaker, and we can save him for last. I want to say first, though, before we get into the individual announcements, for a quick change situation, the Hall of Fame setup, it was understated and perfect. It was a bit of a drag waiting 30 minutes for their first inductees, but WWE did a pretty good job keeping it rolling with a couple backstage interviews, Pat McAfee and Michael Cole at ringside. The whole thing just, the package worked. And I think that this absolutely needs to be the way they do it going forward. A smaller class, more important people, short introductions and interview and uh, short speeches with the exception of the headliner who gets to go on basically as long as they want. Yeah, I didn't watch the pre whatever half hour between. So I just, I didn't see, I don't know what they did. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm torn. I mean, doing the two night mania, you have to do essentially, you have to do hall of fame after SmackDown. And if you're doing a hall of fame after SmackDown, it's gotta be in the ring, which I know they've done before. Um, Mm -hmm. it is, it is kind of weird that they give their speech and they're not like looking toward the entire crowd. They're looking toward the hard cam, which is where the fewest amount of people are in the entire arena. So that's kind of awkward. Um, I I don't lo- I like the previous setup, but I understand why they have to do it this way now. Uh, but also, I appreciate that they you know it it was not too long as those past ones have been. So some some good and some bad. Fair enough. Uh, so let's go down this list. Uh, we had Queen Charmel get inducted. Booker T did the all hail Queen Charmel deal like she used to do for King Booker. She gave a fantastic speech really showed her love for the industry, which maybe I underestimated. I kind of thought like she was the wife and while she certainly was good uh, when she was on screen, she had a passion for this that I just didn't really think was there. And maybe that's just my fault for thinking differently about her. Um, Shad Gaspard was honored with the Warrior Award. There was a really sweet moment. JTG accompanied the family and did the crime time handshake with Mm -hmm. Shad's son. Super touching. The crowd also chanted Shad's a hero, which was really, really emotional. And his wife gave a fantastic speech. Uh, the Steiner brothers had Braun Breaker do a super short introduction, 
Scott spoke nearly the entire time, but there weren't any theatrics or memorable moments like I think many of us had hoped. And Vader, uh, obviously Vader has passed. Uh, Leon White's son, Jesse, did a great job. He and his mom got the fans doing It's Vader time, showed off the old Japanese headgear that Vader used to wear, and talked about Leon White being a great father. I thought they crushed it. Theirs was a little bit more lighthearted and you know appreciative because they're dead. I mean, he was such a, a guy like that. Like That was the personality that so many people knew him having. So it was really appropriate. And I did feel really going through all four of the people we just discussed, all of their speeches and moments and inductions were very appropriate for the type of people that they were. Yeah, I, I think it all fit. Um, you know, the Steiner one really stuck out to me. I mean, Braun Breaker, putting him on that stage to introduce his, his dad and his uncle, that, that's a pretty big stage for him. Absolutely. Uh, for, for them to trust him in that spot, and he did a great job. Um, Scott, Scott's... Uh, I think Rick said made some of a concern about Scott having a live mic and stuff like that. I saw a bunch of jokes going around on Twitter at the time that he was going to start calling out triple H or something like that. <laughs> but, um, and then he tells that, he tells that story about the, about him and Macho man trying to get cows, cows to come to them. <laughs> it was just very nonsensical, yeah. but very Scott Steiner uh, of him. And then Rick saying he didn't leave any time for me and just kind of wrapping it up. I, I think it just kind of it perfectly encapsulated everything. So, uh, yeah, I thought everybody did a nice, solid job. And again, they weren't too, it was clear they had a short time period here. I think they kept everything moving. That was very important. Um, and it just kind of, it just kind of let them, fo- everybody focus on a handful of good things and, and, and onward you go. Didn't need to be uh, too much. So I liked it. And then lastly, of course, was the main event, the, uh, the lead inductee, I guess, for the WWE Hall of Fame. Of course, that was The Undertaker. And I'm not going, I don't have a bunch of notes here. I'm not going to go through everything he talked about because he went on and on. But long story short, I thought it was probably the greatest WWE Hall of Fame moment and speech of all time. Like there's been some very good ones. Scott Hall, especially with him just passing, went back and watched it. And he, of course, had the best closing Mm -hmm. line of any Hall of Fame speech ever. Um, Mr. T was the, he had a great Mr. T. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And there, there were no, a Mr. number. Jesus there, there. It took forever. <laughs> oh, Shout it out wait, mom. It, was it a did. Mess. It was a mess. It's like it's just it's basically like a running joke. I think at this point, Mr. T. I'm maybe I'm misremembering. I'm thinking of something else. I thought his was good. Okay, I'll have to rewatch it anyway. Um, but but this was just so notable for how in depth he went. And what was the most notable about the entire thing is his entire career in WWE. I think the references to him being Mark Calloway may have been one or two and extremely limited. Like I think AJ Styles called him Mark one time um, in the lead up to the Boneyard match. And maybe there was another occasion where someone broke kayfabe and did it, but it was an offhand, really, really quick comment. And it was so appropriate that this guy who has been the benchmark, the paradigm, of keeping kayfabe and doing business the right way throughout his entire career. He was the undertaker in public. Every time you saw him, even when he was the American badass, even when, you know, the, the theatrical elements of the character were lifted a little bit more here and there, he kept kayfabe and he kept character at all times for 30 freaking years for Vince McMahon to introduce him as Mark Calloway, the undertaker. And then for him to do the entire speech, not that he was going to ever do it as the undertaker, 
But for him to do it the way he did it, doing a dead talk with a microphone you know, on his head, not holding one and standing at the podium, but walking around as if he was literally doing a TED talk, like doing a sermon, you know, speaking to people, um, all the people he mentioned, you know, going through almost his entire career. Were there some notable things that he missed? Yeah. Like he didn't mention Mick Foley and Helen Cell. I don't think he mentioned Steve Austin or The Rock, but really Foley was the one that stood out to me. So were there some surprise things in there? Yeah, there were. You know what? It's, he's not the first person to do a Hall of Fame speech and leave out something important. Guess what? I went to the University of Florida. Emmett Smith got inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's a huge Gator fan. He loved his time at the university. He never mentioned it once. He mentioned his high school. He did not mention college Damn. at all. Where he, you know, and people were pissed off about it, right? <laughs> and and it seems like people are pissed off uh, about Mick Foley not being mentioned. So I did think that was an oversight. I don't understand. Uh, why, or if it was personal or just accidental, or maybe the moment was bigger for us as fans than it was for him personally. Cause don't forget the undertaker was already super over uh, coming into that and had a very long career before that match even happened. I shouldn't say a very long career, but a successful prominent career uh, before that had ever happened. But nevertheless, I thought it was just a exemplary speech. He did a fantastic job and it's not, look, I'm not going to go back and watch hall of fame speeches again, but if I ever was, this would be one of them. Yeah, it, well, honestly, the, the the breaking kayfabe part of it, I think, ultimately, was part of those shout outs. I, I mean, he was shouting out the bone. What are they called? The bone, the bone, boneyard. Bone, no, the crew he had. The B. I think it was BSK. Oh, uh, was it B- bone backstage no, crew? Is that I, what it was? I, 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 I forgot what it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. But it was like him and Godfather and, and, and oh, 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 Bro- Bone Street Bone crew. Street crew. That's what it was. Yeah. So it was it was yeah, it yeah. was him revealing a lot of his real life relationships that I think a lot of people probably didn't know. Even in the last ride, they don't really get into it that much. Um, mm-hmm. It's other than Godfather. So that wasn't I found that interesting because it was like, OK, like this guy has been at the top of everybody. But like these guys, these tattoos that they have, these, these various these he had other relationships outside of the ones we saw on screen and it seemed like those took priority or whatever like that and, and it, it was interesting and you know even shane mcmahon getting a lot of attention like that that that, that was part of also what made me think shane might be the seth opponent the next day but that was cool to see um that it was just a real behind the scenes catch-up that we never really got with him and i, I found that to be really good and it was, and there were just generally a lot of lessons, I think, for um, the young wrestlers. There was some stuff in there that was mm-hmm. like in his in his Stone Cold, you know, Broken Skull Sessions interview and stuff like that. But to me, a lot of it was mostly just it was new for, for as much as for as much Undertaker as we've gotten over the last two years, from his retirements to the last ride, to everybody talking about Gradius all the time. He was still able to pull out a speech that had a lot of stuff that I didn't really know or didn't really think about or associate with them. And so it, I think it just further added to his legacy. So I, th- I thought it was very well done. Absolutely. So look, that is it, right? When, when there's no huge SmackDown to break down and we're coming out of WrestleMania, we are able to do a short edition of the getting over wrestling podcast. But what that means is if for some reason you listened to this entire episode and you have not listened to our WrestleMania 38 instant analysis, night one or night two, two different shows, be sure to go back and listen to both of those also with NXT uh, on Tuesday and, of course, AEW on Wednesday. We will be back Thursday this week for our NXT and AEW episode. That means you should go back and listen to our NXT Stand and Deliver 
instant analysis where we break down everything that happened on the first NXT event outside of Orlando since 2019, since NXT TakeOver Portland. That is absolutely wild. So please make sure to go listen to those three shows. If you have not already, subscribe to the podcast. If you are not already subscribed here, do not forget on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to leave a five-star rating or review because guess what? Getting over. So yeah, leave those ratings on Apple and Spotify or review on Apple. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And we are going to cut this show off with one of our shorter editions, uh, WWE editions, I should say, of Getting Over. Again, we are back Thursday talking NXT and AEW and Vintage Chris Manini will be back with the Silver King next Tuesday for another WWE episode. Thank you all for listening today and through an absolutely wild weekend. We will talk to you soon, but at this point, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.